From the studios of Teeing It Up in the slums of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, March 22nd, the year of 2021. And we welcome back Sean Davison to Teeing It Up. Uh, it's been a while, Sean. Good morning and welcome back. Yeah, it sure has, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. Uh, hope you're doing well, pal. Uh, same to you. Um, John Wood um, put something on Twitter that I think is so good and it's a little controversial, but um, I think some of us would like it. And look, we know these guys are playing for a boatload of money, but players like Matt Jones, he says, should have the option of purchasing FedEx Cup points, like airline bonus miles, for all the time he saves the rest of the tour. Every second under 30 seconds shot equals 0.5 FedEx Cup points. That would speed up playing a heartbeat. Well done, Matt. Hashtag let's go while we're young. A, Matt Jones' pace of play is something we should all strive for in winning uh, the, the Honda Classic. B, um, man, I want to take that one step further. Can we buy FedEx Cup points off the slow players? Let's do that. That's more fun. I mean, look, we're at a point in time in the game of golf where, you know, I think more people arguably are watching it than ever before, going back to the start of the pandemic, where golf was really the first sport back. And so... You have these players on this big stage, and when you think about what Tiger was able to do, unfortunately, the car accident has been sidelined for the foreseeable future. But when you had Tiger doing what he was doing, Phil was still playing respectively well. This young wave, which if you look at who's won in the Florida swing, I mean, you just see it right there. Um, there's been a lot of eyes on golf, and so unfortunately, with the slow play problem, there's been a lot of eyes on that as well. And so we've reached this point where, look, We've got to do something. We've got to incentivize guys picking up their pace of play. And so, you know what? It's an out-of-the-box approach, and some pros might not like it. Uh, but, yeah, if you have the season-long set of cut points somehow linked to this concept, Right. It doesn't have to be something where it's some extraordinary amount of FedEx Cup points where you know it equates to a tournament or two's worth of FedEx Cup points in total. Um, but I mean, some sort of way that you know, when you look at 125 every year, Jeremy, it's very small the margin. Yep. Usually within a point. Makes it in. Who doesn't? And it's very small to decide who's going to make it into that top 30 or who's going to make it into that top 100 and who's not. And so if that makes the difference between somebody making it to the Tour Championship or not, you would think that they would reconsider how fast they play and how quickly they make their decisions. Uh, And so, yeah, players like Matt Jones are refreshing. They're good for the game of golf, and I think incentivizing that style of play might be the key to getting more players to make their decisions in a more expedient manner. When you look at... um The see here's something that here's something not whatever I previously said. Sudding, <laughs> I think is what I said. Um, obviously this is being aimed right at J.B. Holmes, and this is not a 
all J.B. Holmes thing, but he's kind of the poster child for, for slow play in the PGA Tour to the point where on Saturday, Tommy Roy was able to take a shot of a darkened 18th tower because Paul was just staring at him backing out off, sorry, uh, backing off over and over again, trying to get the win right on 18 for his third shot. I don't understand because, you know, Jordan Spieth used to be term slow, and, and he's not slow anymore. Why these guys, and I get it, you're playing for a lot of money and, and a lot of points, and there's a lot of things in the line, but it just seems to me, Sean, that he's the one that has not come out and said, I'm trying. Other guys have kind of poked their head out and said, you know, I'm working on this. Bryson is sped up. It's like, hey, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And maybe he has and I've missed it. But it just seems like he has become the poster child of what's wrong. Shotlink has this data. This is data that everybody has. The pros have, not the public. Um, and it seems like something that could work maybe even on a fake basis temporarily, but just to show the guys, like, this is the opportunity you would have in this hypothetical situation, and maybe this is what gets J.B. Holmes to do it, because right now nothing's really getting J.B. Holmes to do it. Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you kind of have to tiptoe a bit. You don't want to, like, lambast one person uh, for their issues, but I will say this. You know, I've been out to a number of tournaments before. I've got some connections out with the tour. And, you know, whenever I do get to go out, unfortunately, with the COVID protocols and me working in an athletic department, um, you know, I just leaving my bubble, so to speak, to go to a PGA Tour event for a couple of days just wasn't practical here. But I've done it time and time again. And when I get to go, it's almost like a reunion of sorts. The thing is, you know... <laughs> You get out there, and you have no idea who you're going to be paired with until, you know, Wednesday or so. Uh, and, and so, of course, that means surprise. You're either paired with somebody, behind somebody, in front of somebody. And so I've kind of seen JB from, like, all angles here. I've been paired with him. I've been paired behind him. I've been paired in front of him. Um, might I add being paired in front, not half bad, um, because you do get that gap behind you. But, I mean, I, I say that jokingly. Um, and, and trying to in a lighthearted way because it, it is a problem. You know, it, there, there is no tiptoeing around it. It is a problem. And, and you mentioned Jordan Spieth. Bryson DeChambeau uh, has had his time uh, in the media, and, and Brooks Kepka has certainly uh, at times poured some fuel on the fire on that one. Uh, Jason Day, if I'm not mistaken, at times has had that sort of um, label of being deliberate, which is the term that I think they use very nicely to describe players who take a little extra while. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I've been in front, behind, and with J.B. Holmes and groups over the years, and it's just been the way it's been. And personally, I'm amazed that just from a mental standpoint, and I'm not some mental expert, uh, but from a mental standpoint, that he's been able to succeed and win as much as he has. Um, and, and I guess that amount of it is kind of what encourages him to continue doing what he's been doing. But to me, the longer you take over the shot, the more you allow insecurity and the more you allow doubt to creep in. And that can be a problem in golf. You know, it's, so, it's such a mental game that 
it doesn't strike me as being advantageous to take forever standing over a ball and to counter in you know 20 different angles, 20 different elements to try to make sense of something. It just doesn't compute to me. Um, and so you know, to go back to JD Holmes, you know, I know he won at Riviera, but it's been a pretty quiet period for him since. And if I'm not mistaken, he shot nine over on Sunday. Um, you know, maybe he's taken a little bit longer, even in the face of this, because things just aren't working right, and he's trying to make sure that everything's, you know, coming together the way he hopes, and for three rounds, it did. Um, but yeah, not just JB, but there are still a handful of players out there that need to continue to work on speeding this up, maybe the FedEx Cup point incentive, if that thing sort of came into existence in the near future, uh, would help. We got Sean Davison with us back on teeing it up for the first time in a little bit. Um, I want to go back to Justin Thomas at the players because JT has had one interesting year. Much of it, um, well, some of it of his own doing, some of it not n- n- not of his own doing. Um, we've got a situation where. He says a homophobic slur back in Hawaii, pays the price for it, clearly was not himself. He loses his grandfather, um, who he was very close with, further not himself, the near-death experience with Tiger, even further not himself, and then he seeks help, which, you know, God bless him, and please don't be ashamed of it. If you need help, get it. It's amazing help out there. And he builds it back together, builds it back together, builds it back, and then has the Sunday that he had at Sawgrass. And I loved his position. I loved him being in that group, in that second-to-last group, behind Bryson and Lee Westwood. And lo and behold, the shot at 11, the shots down the stretch, um, you know, barely making it over on 18 with that rope draw, the rope hook on 16. It's one of the coolest Top Tracers, uh, you'll see all year. Um, and that's obviously Top Tracer technology powered by Topgolf. Um, that I, I just feel like this was JT's whew, everything's going to be okay moment. And uh, God bless him because I, I really think this is going to be the start of a great year for JT. And I think he needed that. And he got some help, obviously, from the last group, but he also did it himself. Couldn't agree more. Um, here's the thing that I find so refreshing about this wave of young stars coming into the game. We see it with Rory. We see it with Jordan. We see it with JT. Um, we see it with all of them, really. They're very candid. They're open. They're honest about everything. Um, and they don't have to be as open and as revealing as they are. But if you look at JT, you know, he went through that self, that self, um, that self-imposed issue, for lack of better terms, at Kapalua, and handled it as best he could, right? And addressed it like a young man who's grown up and, and realizing that some of the stuff he does and some of the stuff he says absolutely needs to change as a responsible adult in society and took ownership of that immediately. Um, you go back to last year even, just to just to switch gears, when he had that 
skin cancer spot on his leg. You know, putting a message out there so people are more aware that, you know what, anybody at any age can have a run-in with something like this, and it's important to check yourself and make sure that you are in good standing and in good health uh, because somebody like a Justin Thomas runs into an issue. Uh, and now this year, talking about mental health, um, you couple that with the way Jordan Spieth has been so incredibly open about his process and his struggles over the last several years. You couple that with how open and honest Rory McIlroy is, arguably the best quote in all of golf um, and one of the best likely in all of sports. Uh, and these are young guys, younger guys. I know Rory's been around for a minute now, and that's absurd to even say. Um, but these younger guys are really the ones that are coming in that people are lending their eyes to as Tiger and Phil and all these other, you know, elder statesmen begin to make their way toward the PGA Tour champions and into other aspects of their respective careers. And so to see guys who have this mind-blowing talent also have the ability to take a step back and put things in perspective, I think is refreshing. Uh, and beyond that, I just want to say that I completely agree. Um, he's been through a lot. And, you know, sometimes it takes just one thing good to make you feel like everything's going to be okay. And so, and so that is, uh, is a huge factor for Justin Thomas. And uh, I really do think that, um, that he'll be all the better for everything he's been through, even if at times uh, it hasn't felt like it leading up to, well, TPC. There are people out there who will say that Justin Thomas should have gotten penalized more for the slur back in Kapalua. There'll be, there are some that'll say that the penalty was too much. But what I will say <clears throat> is that, um, and I think you'll agree, he has taken ownership of it, which is the first thing you have to do. And number two, whether he actually thinks it's the most ridiculous thing ever or whether he thinks, you know, justifiably well, and it seems like he agrees with everybody that it was justifiably way out of bounds. He has done something that I wish more people would do. And this is, you know, for anybody who's in the public light out there and, and fucks up for, you know, if, you know, just let me be blunt there for a second. What JT did, I think, is one thing a lot of people can learn. He was offered by the parent company of Titleist. Um, and I don't know how to pronounce the brand. Is it, is it Ashuant? Is that how you pronounce the name, Sean? Do you happen to know? I do not, no. Okay. The parent company. They offered to give JT their sensitivity, harassment, equality, all that stuff training. The exact same thing they give their employees. And I thought that him saying yes was that little move. It's, it's, it's a little gesture, but it's got huge impacts being able to say, you know what? I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to go through the exact same sensitivity training that every single employee at Titleist has to go through. I thought that was a really smart and savvy move by both Titleist and their parent company and by JT. And maybe this is something all of us can learn from going forward. No, I, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, nobody is ever going to be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. It's A, owning up to those mistakes and B, 
trying to atone for those mistakes uh, in the most immediate and honest and open way possible. And I think, again, that just speaks to this new wave that we have coming in. And not that the previous wave didn't do that as much. It's just as we've gone along, there's an added level of openness um, that I believe we're seeing. And honesty, even if that honesty isn't pleasant. And, uh, you know, that is such a good place for the game to be. When you think about the virtues and the characteristics that all these different initiatives, namely like the first T, that are trying to bring out as youngsters getting into the game, you know, you've got a bunch of guys and young women out on the LPGA that are coming into the game that are doing things the right way, that were raised right, that had good principles, that even when they mess up, they try to make the best of the situation and try to atone as best they can for the situation. Um, really, it, it, it's impressive. I mean, I know it sounds a little absurd saying that it's impressive, but to see a mature response like that to a situation that was less than impressive uh, is itself impressive. Which will include Michelle Wee coming back, um, making her return uh, this week at the Kia Classic on Golf Channel and then at the ANA Inspiration next week. We are talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Um, for years, and those longtime listeners will know, we've had the uh, what to make of Phil Mickelson, and we kind of just shrug our shoulders and are like, who knows what Phil's going to do next. Um, and sadly, for several years, we've had this going with Jordan Spieth. And then suddenly, holy moly, it's been every single week in 2021, basically, after Tory, where he's been knocking on the door of that first win since Burkdale. And I'm telling you, Sean, I really think that it's going to come sooner rather than later. And once that happens... It's going to be who knows where. Because if we're being honest, and if we go back to 2017, he chips in for birdie at Hartford in the playoff, but he blew a lead there. He, the fact that the driving range wasn't out of bounds at Birkdale saves him and helps him win that open when then he does Jordan things and goes four under through his last five holes. Um, yeah, birdie, eagle, birdie, par, birdie. Um the, the bottom line here in my book is that you are looking at um, Birdie, no, sorry, that's Tiger 2000 Pebble. It, it's a similar thing. Those out there know it. The bottom line here is, for me, Sean, Jordan Spieth is back, and it's going to be really soon, and I think that's one of the reasons why golf has seen a ratings bump this year. The Jordan Spieth effect, uh, whether it's the 61 at Phoenix or whatever you want to point to, um, when that guy gets it rolling, there's something every man about him. But it's every man that's really talented. And I really like the way his game looks. He was able to strike it better last couple times out after having some issues with, with the driver um, earlier. And I just really like where his game's going. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build off that um, with two points. Okay. One, um, I don't know what the line is in Vegas. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to preface this by saying this. But right now, if Jordan Spieth's line for the Masters isn't what you would expect it to be, like if you go back into the height of what Jordan Spieth was doing, finishing second and 14, winning in 15, second and 16, 
were undoubtedly going into 17. I'm sure he had the best odds of anybody. I would imagine Dustin Johnson is in that territory now, Bryson DeChambeau, whatever. I don't know what Speed's odds are at Augusta, but if you're looking for somebody who's not obviously going to be the favorite going into Augusta and you want to make some money, put some money on Jordan Speed. Right there. I'm a big believer in horses for courses, and that could very well be the place where it all comes back together. He's got some hard memories there. He's got some heartbreaking memories there. But he also has arguably the best memory of his life there. Um, so that, I think, is something that I just want to preface. I don't know if anybody else has come on there and given a Vegas line like tip. But I, that would be my guy at Augusta, depending on what his line is. Um, Let me stop you right there. Um, <clears throat> as of literally the end of the Honda Classic, um, it is... Uh, 25 to 1. DJ 6 to 1, Rom 10 to 1, along with Rory Kepka. Uh, this is going to drop, obviously. This came out before the knee surgery, so we'll pass him. Bryson and JT at 11 to 1. Xander at 16. Uh, Reed, Spieth, Cantley 25 to 1. Yeah, you want to make some money? Put some money on Spieth. Um, I would. I absolutely would. Um, and so if you were going to ask me who my pick is when I got that, that's my guy right now, actually. Because um, I just feel he's trending in the right direction. He's going to get somewhere like Augusta where he feels good, he likes the course, he's playing well, and I think it's all going to come together there. Where I think it could come together before that, the kid played at Texas. Uh, and so I'm imagining he's in the field at the match play. I haven't looked at the final field, but I would imagine he's in the field at the match play at this point. Um you would have to think. That he is. All his years yeah. in Austin, he's familiar with that golf course, not to mention playing it in the match play. We all know what he's capable of doing in match play just by watching him in the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. So if he's playing well, he does well in match play, he's familiar with the area, he's familiar with the course, there's a very good chance Jordan Spieth will have a very strong showing in Austin as well. So he could get it done in Austin, and then he could very well get it done again at Augusta. And I don't think that is outside the realm of possibility one bit. Um, we're going to end the golf chat with this. More likely to have a better rest of 2021. Lee Westwood or Bryson? Ooh. Wow. Um, I'm going to say this. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Um, look, Lee Westwood, I admire the ever-living hell out of to have the year he's having, to play the way he's playing, off the heels of winning the race to Dubai. Um, the dude's just... We've seen this time and time again, haven't we, Jeremy? Whether it was Kenny Perry back in like 08, 09, the dude that's in his mid to late 40s having this last resurgence right before he turns 50. And sometimes these guys sustain it for a bit going into their early 50s, like a Fred Funk winning on the PGA Tour just past the age of 50. Uh, Davis Love winning at Greensboro just past the age of 50. Lee Westwood's game is durable. It's solid. Uh, he's been there. He's done that. He seems to be in such a good mental space, whether it's having his son on the bag or having his fiance on the bag. Everything just seems to be coming together so well for Lee. And as somebody who just wants to see the Colin Montgomery, Lee Westwood-type player, you know, back when it was Colin, like, please win a major. You know, like, you've done everything else but win a major. 
you know, the Darren Clarks before Darren Clark won the Open. It's like, you know what, I, there's that part of you that wants to see Lee Westwood win the big one. And you know what, the way he's played this year, he absolutely very well could win a major this year. Um, he's just been that good and that solid. Uh, the thing we've seen, I think, over the years is that on Sunday, things tighten up a little bit, uh, and the putter gets a little bulky. At TPC, however, the putter, he made a ton of crucial par-saving putts. The problem was that he had crucial par-saving putts. Um, look, Lee Westwood's going to have a great year. <laughs> Excuse me, it's so great that I'm apparently choked up about it. Exactly, yeah. Um, but at the same time, you also have to acknowledge what Bryson's doing. And uh, I think it would be impractical not to just sort of pencil in that Bryson's going to win one or two more this year. Might win another major, might not, I don't know. Um, but Bryson's going to set a pretty high standard for Lee Westwood to match or to beat simply because he's young, he hits the ball a mile, his game seems to be in a really good place, he's contending on a pretty frequent basis now. Uh, you would just imagine that Bryson's going to get into the winner's circle at least once more, maybe twice more this year. Um, and so that means Lee Westwood's got to win a few times this year uh, to match that. But I think comparatively speaking, um, when you think about as a 40, what is he, 6, 46-year-old man who has sort of reinvigorized his 47, game, he'll know, be 48. 47, yeah. Yeah, 48, uh, 7, he'll be 48 in April. Yeah, so when you think about a 47-year-old man who's been out there, won tournaments all over the world, and for a little bit, we didn't hear from him for a few years. And now here he is again, you know, yeah, you want to break into the winner's circle, absolutely, especially on the PGA Tour where it's been an extra little while since you've won last. But look, he's having a tremendous resurgence in his career, and I think that in and of itself is commendable, and that in and of itself is special. Um, and so breaking into the winner circle one time for Lee Westwood at this stage in his career might be like the equivalent of a Bryson DeChambeau winning three tournaments this year uh, because they're in two totally different places. Um, but, yeah, both, I think, are going to have great years, and that's a hard one to handicap. That's a <laughs> terrific question. Jordan Spieth is in Group 15 alongside Matthew Fitzpatrick, Matthew Wolf. We'll see how his health is, and Corey Connors. Um when you look at the Dell match play this week on Golf Channel, NBC, PGA Tour Live, and PGA Tour Radio, um, we are going to move off this topic and the sport and transition uh, briefly into two uh, different areas. The first is your your love of of college baseball, um, which is in this run of sports that never really got started last year um, and now are finding their way, but you've got elongated eligibilities. You've got free transfers for a year. It, it's it's kind of all over the place, helter-skelter stuff you've got going when it comes to college baseball, college softball. You've got some fall sports being played in the spring. Um, the interesting thing about college baseball, I think, is that because there is a kind of lineage to Major League Baseball, and yet, you know, it's nine innings, and it's, you know, or, or, or seven on a doubleheader, um, 
there, there's something that feels natural about it, even if you don't quite know the stories of everybody. But for these players and for these coaches, it has been a long time. And we saw in the majors last year some guys who came into camp not quite looking up to snuff out of shape um, because they just didn't know what to do and they didn't know when the season would start and all that stuff. College baseball has had the advantage that these guys at least know, knew when the heck their season was supposed to start. But all of their ramp-up has been way different than it ever was. As you have looked at college baseball on the road to Omaha, which I know is a cherished place for you, has it felt normal? Has it felt right so far? Or are there still some funky things about college baseball? You know, I'll be honest with you, Jeremy. It, that's kind of a yes and a no thing. Um, you know, the yes element is it's great to have it back. And, you know, the dimensions of the fields don't change. The concepts and the basics of the game don't change. Um, and so, to some degree, there is some familiarity. However, to your point, it's been 11 months. And so... For me, right, if I walk down into a dugout pregame, and that frankly doesn't really happen because of COVID protocol, right. uh, but there's been a couple of times that I've, you know, had the opportunity to walk down, and there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 kids standing in a dugout as opposed to like 25, um, that's a change in and of itself. And so I think what we've seen, especially with these sports, where you know you're confined to a bench and you're confined to an area like a dugout as opposed to a football sideline where you've got a hundred yards of space to spread out is coaches have to be really creative with how they approach practices um you know and so it's been a theme that i've talked with coaches about week in week out as i call baseball and i call softball and it's you know what, you might be a middle infielder, but we're going to get you reps on the corner because between contact tracing and positive tests, we might need you there. You might play the infield, we're going to put you in the outfield because we might need you there, vice versa. And so there's all of that being taken into consideration. You've got pitchers who might be profiling the starters that might end up becoming middle inning relievers because that's just where they fit. Or kids that are middle inning relievers that have to become a starter but they're not really geared to go six or seven innings, so you might borrow that concept of a two-inning opener that we're seeing now more days in the MLB. So it's a little bit different because you don't know who you're going to have available when because COVID still casts this cloud of uncertainty. Here's the other difference. I mentioned the increased roster sizes. One reason of that is, hey, recruiting doesn't slow down, and these kids coming out of high school still have somewhere that they need to go. Um, the flip side of that is, you have a lot of kids that whether they were going to be draft eligible sophomores and they didn't really have a chance to build their profile or kids that just didn't really have much of a chance in their junior year, which as you know, junior year is the year that these kids, if they're going to get drafted is when they ideally will leave because once you get into your senior year, you've got nothing else to do and the MLB can just sort of offer you what they want. Um, and so they just didn't get that chance to really build out their junior year. And then you have the element of wanting to run it back and finish what you started and so on and so forth that plays into it as well. So what you have in college baseball and in college softball, but primarily in college baseball where we understand the MLB structure and there is a, a, a pro alternative that's already been well established, um, college baseball, arguably more than ever before, feels like minor league baseball. There was a five-round draft as opposed to a 40-round draft. So there's a whole bunch of talented kids that have come into college baseball that ordinarily would not have. And on top of that, there's a whole bunch of kids that would have left last year that have not. 
And so you've got a lot of competition. You've got freshmen beating out seniors and juniors for jobs. The quality of baseball this year has actually risen in a way, at least in my opinion, based on what I've seen. And some of these programs, yes, it's taken some time to get their wheels underneath them. I work with one right now that just came off a week where they beat Florida, who's in the top five, and Miami, who's just outside the top five, by a combined 44-4 to over a four-game stretch. Programs like Florida State are starting to get their wheels underneath them. Vanderbilt's and whatnot, you know what you've got. Vanderbilt wins titles, it seems like, every other year at this point. Um, but college baseball's in a really good place, Jeremy. It's really fun to watch. Uh, the quality of play continues to get better, and there are a lot of athletes that now that have decided to go to college that we're going to get to see for three years. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and this season's going to be a big one as well. It's hard to handicap who's going to make it to Omaha because so many teams are just so damn good. And then we have the NCAA tournament, the road to the Final Four. Uh, we're taping this at 11.52, um, or basically 11, uh, we've been doing this for 32 minutes. So basically since 11.20 Eastern, um, Monday morning. So there's some stuff we can't talk about and can't talk about because of time sensitivity. So I'll just put this out there as a broad question. Who has impressed you most out of this NCAA tournament so far? Who is that team or teams that is like, watch out, watch out for them, watch out, or watch out for this player. He's going to be good on, you know, not only in this tournament, but next level, whatever the case may be. Where's, where's your head at on that? So as of right now, the player who has jumped out to me is Max Aismas at Oral Roberts. Um, Without a doubt, in both games he's played, in a 15-2 upset and in a 15-7 upset um, just the other day against Florida, I don't think you could argue that he was the best player on the floor. And he's teeing off against Power 5 teams. And so at this point in time, Oral Roberts will now face Arkansas moving forward. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, if you got a good point guard, if you've got good guard play in the NCAA tournament, you're in pretty darn good shape. And frankly, when you start getting from, I'd say, the 8th seed through the 15 or so seed, you can throw them under a blanket. There, there really isn't too many degrees of separation. And so in an NCAA tournament like this, where we've seen upsets left and right, there might be more of a pathway for an Oral Roberts than we've seen in the past. But, I mean, it's, it's hard to not be impressed with the teams that have come into the tournament and have made the most of their opportunity. Oral Roberts, Abilene Christian. I mean, my goodness. Um, teams like those, where I think we're familiar with seeing those kinds of upsets on occasion, I think this might be the maddest march we've ever seen. Half of my bracket at this point is shocked. Um, and you know what? I'm here for it. I missed this. Uh, and so I'm incredibly impressed with some of these efforts from the Ohio's, the Oral Roberts, the Abilene Christians. And I think what that's also done is it's made it intriguing for the teams that you would expect that are still in the tournament as of this point. You know, there's more pathways there, and it becomes all the more glaringly obvious of what they should be able to do. The Baylors, the Arkansas. Um, you know, those types of teams. On the other side, and I'll just throw my own squad out there, the Florida State, the Alabamas. I mean, when you have all these upsets around you and it becomes more and more clear that you are one of the teams, even more so than before, how do you play with that? 
you know, we're going to find out over the coming days how some of these teams that are still in the bracket as of right now handle that moment. But yesterday we had eight games and we had four upsets. Uh, so, you know, there's no telling how we're going to go. We're about to tip off here in probably, what, about 30 minutes? Uh, if that, and who knows what we're going to see today. And uh, you know what? I'm here for it. It's going to be a lot of fun this run through March. And then, of course, it culminates with the national championship. And then the week after that, we've got Augusta. This is one of my favorite times of the year because then I blink my eye in about a month and a half or in Omaha. And it just, I, I love it. Um, and then we will be gone. And oh. it's going to be a lot of fun to see if the other half holds up. I'm hoping for my alma mater, it does. <laughs> we will. It, it's it's a great time of year. We've got some positive mojo going, and um, it's just an an, an amazing um, sequence of events upcoming. And I have no idea where this bracket is going either. Sean Davison, thank you as always for coming on teeing it up with Jeremy Schilling. Thanks for having me, as always, Jeremy. Uh, thank you to Sean. Thank you to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. Subscribe, rate, review, preferably five stars on Apple Podcasts. See you next time on Teeing It Up.